Great to have you guys here. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to see your smiling faces. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Thanks so much for daring to step out. And so thanks for doing that. We appreciate that. You know, I know I'm kind of teasing about that, but I know a lot of people really are still worried, and we understand that. And I asked my own father, it's the first time in my life I've had to actually ask my father not to come to church, you know, uh, but because I love him and he's a little older, I want to, want to be careful. So we understand that. So many of you are, are a little nervous about coming. We get it. So we have a huge online presence still. Thank you so much for being a part. You're still a part of Church Unlimited. Thank you for those who did brave to come to church at whatever campus you're at. We thank you for that too. And you know what? I want to encourage you guys. We're going to get through this and we're going to be just fine. Don't be discouraged. Don't be worried. We've been through worse, and so we're going to get through this just fine, and so glad you guys are with us. I'm so excited today. I want to first of all say thank you guys, because I've been able to enjoy a few weeks off, which is a game changer just for me as I'm preparing, and I'm excited about coming back strong uh, in July. Very excited about that, but today we have a guest preacher, one of my dearest friends. He's on our board of directors. If people say sometimes, well, Pastor, who do you give account to? Who are you accountable to? Who do you listen to? Who pours into you? And uh, this is one of those guys. Pastor Marcus Meekham leads an amazing church called Seven Hills Church uh, in, in in the Cincinnati area, especially in Florence, Kansas, which is a suburb of Cincinnati. He's an amazing leader. He's taken that little church that had gone through multiple church splits, uh, just you know, a handful, a hundred, you know, several hundred people, turned it into a church of 5,000 strong and growing in the Cincinnati area. He's an amazing leader, a great father, a great husband, and frankly, he's a dear friend. Please give a great, warm South Texas welcome to Pastor Marcus Meekham. Thank you, thank you. How you guys enjoying COVID? Well, it's so good to be with you. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 21, and I'll do my best to get there pretty quickly. Um, I want to say thanks to your pastors for hanging out with me, loving me. He's such an awesome friend to me. I would say that's one of the biggest compliments I could give somebody is they're not a, just a great pastor, a great preacher. They're just, they're just a great friend. And Pastor Bill has been that to me for now over 10 years. And I think I've been here many times. I don't know if you've been here many times, but when I've been here, but I've been here, I think five or six times now. So it's good to see you again. Good to be back with you and can't wait to get through 2020. Come on, somebody. Anybody ready for 2020 to be over? Uh, yes. First Kings chapter 21. Let's look at uh, verse one. I'm going to read more verses than maybe normal but I really want to make sure that you're tracking with me. It says, sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use it for a vegetable garden. That's actually what I'm going to talk about. That phrase right there, vineyards and vegetables. It's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. I love that phrase. The Lord forbid that I do this. So Ahab went home. He's sullen. He's angry. Because both the, the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so he was laying on his bed, sulking and refusing to eat. Anybody been that way over the last few months? Just depressed, down, discouraged. So his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sad? Why won't you eat? 
And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act as a king over Israel? Get up, eat, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote a letter in Ahab's name, placed a seal on them, sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him to those letters she wrote. Proclaim a day of fasting, set Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite of him that they bring charges and accusations. I'm adding that idea. Just think about that. They're bringing something against him that's not true. That he both cursed God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. And the Bible says in the following few verses that they ended up killing Naboth. Now, the devil is a sneaky devil. The scripture describes him as a serpent, meaning that serpents are such that they lay low. They are camouflaged. They don't have great eyesight, so they use their senses. They have incredible senses. So the devil is an expert strategist. The Bible says that we're not to be ignorant of his devices and his strategies. The devil is also an opportunist. The Bible says if he hits your life, many times he'll withdraw and wait for a more opportune time. And the Bible teaches us why, because he's seeking whom he may devour. I want you to think about that because in this story, you get an idea of how the enemy finds his way into our lives very subtly. And again, almost in a subversive way, it's hard to catch it sometimes. And that's why he's so effective. So the story we read was about an incident involving a vineyard. So I want you to get the imagery in your mind. I want you to see a beautiful vineyard. This is the California beautiful vineyards. And I want you to imagine this vineyard because the Bible teaches us that the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a vineyard. Jesus refers to himself as the Lord of the vineyard. He said that you're the branches, but I'm the vine. I'm the source of your life. So in this story, there is a great message. There's a message that's about the kingdom of God. There's a message of how God works in our life. There's a message inside of this about how we can thrive and flourish. But it's also a message how the enemy can cut us off from our source as Jesus is the Lord of our vineyard. So the Bible here is talking about this man by the name of Naboth. To give you some background Naboth is from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is the son of Joseph. So if you were to go back, Jacob, the man that wrestled with God and held on to him all night until God blessed him and then God broke his hip. So he walked with the limp, but he received the blessing of God. That Jacob, he's on his deathbed and he's got his sons lined up and he's speaking blessings. He's praying over each of his sons. He's communicating to them his last dying wishes And finally, Joseph shows up who had the coat of many colors. This is the son that that Jacob loved above all others. This was the man that had the great dreams of the stars and all these different things. And so this son is standing in front of his father, Jacob. 
His father is speaking to him his final words before he dies. So these are his last dying wishes. And he tells his son, Joseph, you will be a fruitful vine. Joseph hears what his father says. He hears his father's prayer. He hears this dream that was in his father's heart. And so he goes out and he finds a piece of property. He thinks that this is the property that's going to be perfect for this dream that my father talked to me about on his deathbed. And so he plants a vineyard. He spends the rest of his life nurturing that dream, nurturing that vineyard, caring for it. He gets to the place where he's got to now pass that down to his son. So of all the sons, he chooses to pass it down to Manus. And he tells Manus, listen, this is a dream that my father gave me on his deathbed. This was, this was something that was in his heart. This was how he blessed me. This is what he spoke over my life that I would be and what I would accomplish and what I could do in life. And so I spent my life nurturing it. And now I'm passing it down to you. And then Manus would pass it down to his son. And then he would pass it down to his son. And then you go find five generations down and you get Naboth. So Naboth would have known that this isn't just any vineyard. This wasn't just a flippant thing that my, my father had nothing better to do. So he said, hey, you can have this. This would have been the prized possession of their family. This is a dream that had been passed down all these generations. And Ahab is looking at all of Jezreel. He's up on his summer palace walls. And as he's looking out over the region, he sees livestock and streams and lakes. He sees crops and fields. But of all the places he looks, this vineyard that is Naboth's vineyard that was handed down for five generations, it pops out. It stands out. And he says, I've got to get that vineyard. Of all the pieces of property he could see as the king of this entire nation, he could have had anything he wanted, but he wanted that vineyard. And he said he wants it for his vegetable garden. Now, there's nothing evil about a vegetable garden. There's nothing wicked. I've never heard anybody be like, oh, that's a vegetable garden. That's satanic. That's, that's, that's evil. I've never heard, maybe a five-year-old would think that. But for the most part, a vegetable garden is a positive thing, a good thing, a healthy thing, even a needed thing. But remember, the devil is a sneaky devil. You almost don't catch it if you're not careful about the subtlety here. Give up your vineyard for vegetables. Give up the extraordinary for the ordinary. Just sacrifice the God idea, not, not for evil or wickedness, but just a good idea. Exchange the great for average, the eternal for something temporal, the spiritual for something natural, the, the abundant life that Jesus died for you to have for just an ordinary, everyday life. Give up that vineyard for vegetables, you know, vegetables, just mediocre, blah, average, bland, status quo, boring vegetables. Isn't that how the enemy works? Vegetable garden isn't wrong. It's just not best. The Bible says all things are permissible, but yet not all things are beneficial. Romans 12 says it like this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it goes on to say so that you may prove that which is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So there's a perfect will of God, and there's the good, and then there's the acceptable, but there's the perfect will of God. That's best. 
there's the good, that's the vegetables. There's the, there's the acceptable, that's the vegetables. But then there's the perfect will of God. That's the vineyard. Paul says, I exhort you, excel still more. What's he saying? Don't settle. Don't become satisfied. Don't fall into the status quo. Excel still more. Paul, the apostle who did great things, accomplished incredible things in his life, was still seeking God and dreaming to excel still more. Remember that what the king was trying to do was to tell Naboth, come on, there's something out there that's, that I can give you that's better than that which was the dream that was passed down to you and the purpose and the calling that was passed down to you. I think about how many times just we fall into this. We're out on a date night and just going through the motions, just kind of just there, just going through it. Instead of just saying, you know, I've got to I've got to get in the present moment. I've got to find a way to say, what can we do to really stir that connection? What what kind, instead of really preparing my mind, my heart, making sure that 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 moment is not just good, acceptable, vegetable. No, it's I, how do I create it into something that's best? When I'm talking to my kids, I can just say, hey, how are you doing today? Or I can try to create space and want to know. How are you doing? What's going on? Tell me. And I can try to, again, there's the good, there's the acceptable, but then there's that way to begin to say, I'm not going to just settle for the status quo here. I really want to pull the gold out of my children. Church life is the same way. You can just go through the motions. You just come in and go out. There's also a way to say, no, I, I don't want just vegetables. I don't want to just fall into the boring, the bland, the routine, the mediocre, the average. I want to pull, I want to excel still more and get the very best out of it. even right now in this moment. You can pull the best out of a moment or you can just be trying to pass the time because your mind is settled somewhere else. But you got to pull yourself back and say, I don't want to walk away from this service with just vegetables. I want the vineyard. I want the best that God has for me. So this is the key. The vineyard was Naboth's destiny. That was his purpose. That was God's best. Vegetables are not what Naboth was born for. So anything that interferes with God's best for you is just vegetables. Just blah, bland. Born. Nobody's going to tell you. You can excuse it. You can justify it. But you know that vegetables are good. They're acceptable but they're not your vineyard and they're not God's best. Are you thankful that Jesus's first miracle wasn't turning water, turning water into vegetable juice, turning water into kale tonic, turning water into V8? No, he turned the water into wine, but not just any kind of wine, the best wine. Because when God gets a hold of your life, he doesn't want you to stay ordinary. Average. No, he's trying to take you to a place where you experience the best that he has for you. It's not the vegetables of the spirit. It's the fruits of the spirit. It's the sweetness of God. It's it's the, the way that God knows how to take the bitter things. The Bible says the bitter waters and he doesn't just make them normal. He doesn't just make them drinkable. 
That Old Testament story says he makes the bitter waters to be sweet. Not just I grin and bear life, not just I survive life. No, God can do such a work in your life that even the things that were bitter, he can turn them into something that is sweet. So Ahab, thank you, thank you, thank you. Looks like we're going to get some some vineyard out of this service. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You know, the devil's so good at getting people to surrender their vineyards for just the status quo vegetables of life. So Ahab, of course, the story is he desires this, this vineyard. He wants this vineyard. So he arranges the meeting with Naboth. Naboth shows up to the king's palace, walks into the room that was set up for him, and Ahab begins to talk to him about his dream to find a way to get this vineyard. He says, I'll give you another vineyard. I'll I'll pay you whatever it's worth. And I just want to take this vineyard and turn it into a vegetable garden. Surely there's a price. Surely there's a number. Surely there's a compromise we can find. And Naboth immediately refuses and says, I will not give up my vineyard. My vineyard is non-negotiable. This vineyard is not for sale. And then he goes one step further with it and says, the Lord forbids this. I will not. He begins with saying, I will not. But then he goes to the more important phrase, the Lord forbids it. It's not what I will. It's what he wills. And every now and then we have to encourage ourselves with the hard phrase, there are still things the Lord forbids. If it compromises my vineyard, if it compromises the destiny, if it compromises my integrity, if it compromises my family, my calling, my standard, my convictions, my values, I do not yield, I do not retreat, That's my vineyard, and it's not just that I will not, it's that God wills not. He forbids me to compromise anything that is the vineyard that he's given me. Jesus remembers up on the high mountain. The enemy shows up and he says, as far as the eye can see, all the kingdoms of the earth, I want to give it to you. All the kingdoms of the earth, I can give that. You just got to kind of bow down to me. There's just got to be a little compromise we can find here. And if we can find that compromise, all the kingdoms of the earth are yours. And I'm just adding, taking my liberty here. But he's like, no, that's vegetables. That's ordinary. That's not what I was born for. He's got a vineyard that he said, I would endure the cross. What for the joy? That's his vineyard that was set before him. All the kingdoms of the earth, for most people, that's the vineyard. But for Jesus, he's like, nah, that's vegetables. I've got a bloody, horrible cross I've got to go and die on because if I'll endure that, there's the joy that's set before me. The point is simply Jesus knew how to say, I know what my vineyard is. I know what God says. I know what God says I can do. And I know what he forbids. And it is written, I will not compromise my family, I will not compromise my mind, my peace, my joy, my, my life for something that everybody else would say is great. But I know in my heart and my spirit, that's vegetables, that's bland, that's ordinary, that's not God's best. So Ahab is furious. He's so angry. He's so upset. He's so 
mad. He's in bed, depressed, so depressed he can't even eat. His wife Jezebel walks in and says, why are you so sad? Why are you so upset? Why are you why are you acting like this? You're a king. You can have anything you want. Why are you acting like this? He says, well, because I went to Naboth and I wanted the vineyard and he won't give me the vineyard. And he I thought he would and he won't. And and and, and I don't get it. I don't understand. I get everything I want. And he, he said, no, and I don't understand. No. And Jezebel's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to write a letter. It's a strategic letter that I'm going to write. And I'm going to get you that vineyard. So she writes this letter. She writes it to all the kings, all the influencers, all the nobles. And inside of this letter, she says, I'm going to do two things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite these people to a place. I'm going to invite. I'm going to invite Naboth to come. I'm going to set him at a prominent table and I'm going to set him across from two scoundrels. And our goal is we're going to get him in this environment and we're going to set a trap for him. And we're going to do everything we can to accuse him and lie on him and deceive him in order that we can take his life so we can get the vineyard. So the goal was the vineyard. The goal was I got to do whatever I can to take that vineyard and turn it into a vegetable garden. So if hell has to write a strategic letter about how to destroy your life, hell will always include two things, wrong places and wrong people. If God wants to bless your life, he sends a person. If the devil wants to destroy your life, he sends a person. And notice the scoundrels weren't at the bar and weren't at the club. They weren't Satanist. They were at church. They were at a spiritual place, which means when people enter your life just because of their church don't mean at church don't mean they're carrying the right spirit. So you have to know when somebody comes into your life, they're more than a body. They have a spirit. That's why the Bible says that you have to discern the spirit of a thing, the spirit of a person. And it's difficult to do that. So that's why you have to know if the devil wants to ruin your life, he's going to send a person. If God wants to bless your life, he's strategic and he knows how to send the right people. So if the enemy can do anything, he wants to pull you away from those vineyard relationships, those godly relationships. And he wants to introduce you to people that are just going to try to pull you down into that vegetable level living. Romans says, no, no man after the flesh. What are vegetable people in this story? They were scoundrels, insecure people, anglers, negative, needy, proud, divisive, judgmental. They threw out false accusations against Naboth and then they put God's name on it. They had the rock in one hand and the Bible in the other hand. The vineyard people, you always know them. They're joyful people. They lift you. They believe in you. They are prayerful about you. They celebrate you. There's peacefulness when they enter your life. They're hopeful. They're courageous. They're not afraid to take a stand against giving up the best 
for just normal, giving up the vineyard for vegetables. They're always pushing, always saying there's the high mark of Christ Jesus. I got to forget the past. I got to reach for that high mark. I believe a great prayer is not just God order my steps. What's that saying? God, I need you to to help me know the places I should go. And I need you to show me the people I connect with, should connect with. That there's no accidents. Every step is ordered. Every relationship is ordered. I need to know if I'm going to the places you're calling me to. And am I surrounding myself with the people that you desire to have in my life? And so Jezebel writes this letter. She sets the the trap. It's there. It's positioned. She sends out an invite to Naboth. And this is where the story turns. Naboth, every step of the way, stood his ground. Every step of the way, he's been courageous. He's not yielded. But now he misses it. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek God. He uses no discernment. He doesn't get godly counsel. He just simply shows up and falls in to the invitation that he knows is from Jezebel. Think about it. He gets brought in to an environment and he already knows the source of who sent him the invite. He knows she doesn't love God. He knows she doesn't care about his destiny. He knows that She's wicked and evil. Think about how many letters come on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, things that you and I get pulled into. And we already know the source isn't from someone that loves God. We already know the source isn't from somebody that trusts the scripture. We already know that person in no way cares about our faith, our future, our vineyard, but we get pulled into that and then we end up in environments where the vineyard, God's best, is starting to be dismantled in our life and, and we, we think that it's just okay. No, at some point you've got to say, I can't just listen to every invite. I can't just come into every invite, every post that is out there. I've got to use discernment. I've got to ask myself, who is the source of that? And is that someone I want to give influence to? So the story is clear. He falls into the enemy's trap. The scoundrels succeed. They kill Naboth, this beautiful vineyard. That's so beautiful, it caught the attention of a king. Five generations, it's been nurtured and cared for, been passed down. And now it's about to be turned into a vegetable garden. Naboth is dead. It's over. It's final. It's finished. No hope, no future, no life, no breath, no heartbeat, no pulse, no positive end to this story. And I read this story and it bothered me. It irritated me. It drove me crazy. This is how the story ends. Come on, how many of y'all hate those movies? The, the hero dies. That's not how the story should end. And I read the story. and I thought, man, that's not what I want for my life. That I take a stand. I've been serving God since I was 16. I gave my life to Christ when I was 16. I'm 45 years old. All through the years, the way I don't want to get to the place where all of a sudden 
I've took a stand every step of the way. And then I just misunderstand the importance of being cautious about how sneaky the enemy is and how easily he tries to pull us into the wrong thinking and the wrong mindsets and the wrong relationships. Ahab is standing in the middle of Naboth's vineyard, gloating, celebrating. He's not sad. He's not depressed. He, he's, he's not hanging out in his bedroom anymore with the, the shades pulled. No, he's, he's gloating. He's got the touchdown dance going. He's got it. He's, he got the vineyard that he wanted. And then the Bible says in verse 17, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So this is what I want you to see. That the devil isn't the only one with a pen. The devil isn't the only one that knows how to strategize. The Bible is clear that God has a pen too. The Bible says he wrote on tablets of stone. The Bible says he, his finger wrote on the wall. Jesus, of course, reached down and wrote in the dirt. We would also know that he writes on the tablets of our hearts. We have a book right here with 66 letters and books to you and I. Spirit inspired, God breathed, destiny filled books, letters that were written with us in mind, given to us so we could know what the word of God is for our life and for our future. And by the way, God has not stopped writing. Psalms 45 and verse one says his heart overflows with a good theme towards you and that his tongue, listen to this, is the pen of a ready writer. So I want you to notice that Naboth is dead, but God is still speaking. He's gone. It's over. He's finished. But yet God's word is still at work. Aren't you thankful that you can be in the places it looks dead, it looks gone, it looks finished, it looks over, but yet God's word is still working to accomplish what it was sent out to do in our life, that God orchestrates in the lifeless places, that he maneuvers in the hopeless seasons, that God is still working in the graveyards of life. I asked God, I said, what is, what, what's Naboth mean then? He's gone, he's dead. I appreciate that you're speaking to Elijah, but what about Naboth? And I felt like, the Lord showed me that Naboth speaks of the things in all of our lives that have to die. You see, as long as Naboth was present, Elijah was absent. As long as Naboth was, was there, was taking up the space, Elijah could not enter. So I want you to see it. Naboth had to go down into the ground so Elijah could be raised up. Naboth had to move out so Elijah could move in. We all have things in our life that have to die. Mindsets, attitudes, things that we trust, our own strength. The Bible says it's the way that seems right to us. But in the end, it's destruction. Naboth has to die. Our flesh has to die. Our carnal mindsets have to die. Why? So God can raise up that Elijah on the inside of us, God can raise up that thing where we say, it's not by my might, that's Naboth. It's not by my power, that's Naboth. But it's by God's spirit, saith the Lord. I'm closing. I've got 30 seconds, but I'll probably take 
two minutes and 30 seconds. Luke chapter 20, Jesus talks about this vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard. And he talks about the problem as he gave this vineyard to people. And these people, whenever he would send someone to check on it, to look in on it, to make sure it was being handled appropriately, these people would be beat. These people would even be killed. And so finally, he says, the Lord of the vineyard came. And what did he do? He cast those people out. He cast that mindset out. What was the mindset? I'm the owner. This whole story started with it's Naboth's vineyard. It was never Naboth's vineyard. It's not your vineyard. That's the mistake that we make. That's the attitude that has to die, that I'm an owner. And then we get upset whenever God tries to come in and says, no, you're not the owner. It's not your church. It's not your family. Those aren't your kids. They were with him. He knew them before they were formed in the womb. It's not your talents. It's not your gifts. It's not your time. It's not your body. It's not your life. Every breath you have, he gives it to you. Come on. It's not your business. It's not your resources. It's not your marriage. It's not your family. He's the Lord of the vineyard. And the mindset that I own it has to die. Why? Once that moves out, then Elijah can move in. Elijah, again, a powerful prophet in the Old Testament. But the Bible teaches us in Luke chapter one that the spirit of Elijah is still alive. The spirit of Elijah is just the spirit that makes us ready for the return of the Lord. You say, well, that's great. Elijah's this Old Testament powerful prophet, did great miracles. That's amazing. But I'm just a normal person. What about me? Well, James tells us. James 5 and verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did rain. I'm just paraphrasing real quick for time. Listen, Elijah was just like us. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah and what did it say? Hey, I want you to go down. I want you to find that Ahab. And I want you to tell that Ahab, he's standing in the middle of my vineyard and he thinks it's his. He thinks he's won. He thinks he got it. But I want you to go down there and I want you to tell Ahab he's not turning that vineyard into a vegetable garden. He doesn't have the final say. I have the final say. And Elijah walks into that vineyard and he tells Ahab, the Lord saw what you did. The Lord is aware of what you have done and you're not getting this vineyard. And Elijah shows up to tell that Ahab spirit, not today, not while I'm here, not in my presence. And at some point, I believe that spirit has to come on you. The spirit that tells any Ahab spirit, not today, not on my watch, not in my family, not not in my church. Come on, not with my kids, not with my marriage, not, not with my dream, not with my destiny. I'm not giving up my vineyard for vegetables. I'm not giving up God's best for blah, bland, ordinary vegetables. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over each and every person here. Father, the same spirit that was in Elijah. God, he was just a person is what the, the, the brother of Jesus said. Elijah was a, just a guy just like we are. 
just normal human being. Nothing was special about him, but he would earnestly pray. He would earnestly take a stand. He would earnestly say, I'm not giving up God's best for blah, bland, ordinary life. And I pray that that same spirit come alive inside of all of us, which we know is the spirit of God. The anointing of God, I pray, would cause us to stand up against that Ahab mindset, that Ahab spirit, and make a decision to say, not today, not in our lives, Father. So anybody that's found themselves in a place of compromise, finding themselves just settling, I pray that that spirit today come alive inside of them where that courage would come to say, God, I want the vineyard that you have for me. I want the best, the high mark. I want the perfect will of God in Jesus name. Every eye is closed, every head is bowed. Maybe you're watching you're here today and you say, Marcus, I'm not right with God. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. And you'd like me to pray for you. You need forgiveness. You need a new beginning. You need a new start. Really, it all begins with that. Just saying, man, I've just done it my own way. I, and that's vegetables. I want the vineyard. I want the best. I want the purpose. I want the dream that God has for me. And I know it begins with just simply saying, God, I'm here. I give you my life. I surrender all to you. And so if you're here and you'd say, Marcus, I need to get right with Jesus. I need to put my trust in Christ. I need that new beginning. I need that new start. I'm not saved. I'm not where I need to be. I, I, I know that, that if I were to die right now and stand before God, I would know that I've not honored him with my life and that I'm not right with him. And you want me to pray for you on the count of three. I'm going to encourage you just to slip your hand up. People say, why slip my hand up? That's just you saying yes. An important thing is for you to say yes to God. That's the invitation. That's you saying, God, I'm here. Today is the line in the sand. I'm not going back. On the count of three, you say, Marcus, I need that new beginning. I need that fresh start. Quickly lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it as high as you can. Now I want you to put your other hand on your heart. Let's all pray this together. All of you, if you're watching online, you can pray this wherever you're at. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross, for shedding your blood for my sin. I give you my life today. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Can we give the Lord a good hand clap? Hey, Church Unlimited, we love you.